So I'm always saying, hi, my name's Jade Gillespie Doss. I'm with Conservative Texans for Energy Innovation. What do you do for work? I would love to be in 4K right now, but... It is quite literally the heat beneath our feet. It's just a little onion that just keeps peeling back of different... The energy transition is here, and we can either continue to not take a seat at the table, or we can all just join in the conversation and really navigate it like conservatives do. Thank you for for being here. Thank you for doing this. Uh, So first of all, congratulations on your recent promotion. Uh, I I know you've told me, but for the listeners at home, can you tell people what your new job is and kind of what you've been up to the last couple of years? So past couple of years, um, I have been in and around the political landscape here. Um, I'm currently working as the deputy director for Conservative Texans for Energy Innovation and uh, that's with the Conservative Energy Network. It's a nonprofit that works in utility scale renewable energy, and it brings the conservative voice to clean energy across Texas. But prior to that, I worked with U.S. Representative John Carter doing constituent services. And before that, I worked with State Representative Hugh Shine. And that's how I got to meet you. Yeah, we'll get to get into that because that's a fun story. Uh, so uh, renewables, it's certainly become more uh, part of the discussion in the most recent debate. You heard a lot of candidates, uh, DeSantis talking about an all of the above approach, uh, supporting that. Uh, I think Vivek is very uh, uh, bullish on renewables and all of the above uh, approach as well. So uh, it seems like the conversation has changed a little bit uh, in this space, but uh, what's your perspective and what what has been the thing that you have been kind of most focused on the past few years? Sure. So the, the space that the Conservative Texans for Energy Innovation focuses on is in all the above and below with geothermal in Texas, which is really exciting. But we uh, primarily focus on that rural economic development piece. So renewable energy allows Texans to have economic freedom and economic growth in their communities without having a giant economic change to their local community. It allows for them to have financial growth without changing their their landscape to their schools and their hospitals and overwhelming their communities in their infrastructure. And so we're in all the above and below approach. I'm going to give myself a pause so you can edit. (laughs) Uh, No, you're good. Uh, So, uh, so in Texas, that means we've got nuclear, we've got coal, we've got solar, wind, and then natural gas. Yes. Are the, are the main ones, right? And, And, there's like wind. energy storage. Did I not say wind? I don't know. Turbines. We had, Tur- is it turbines? Tur- it depends turbines? on who you're talking to. So the people that work in energy, the operations and management and maintenance of it say turbines, and then the engineers say turbines. Oh, I thought it was From like, what I understand. I thought it was an East Texas, West Texas kind of deal. 
right? Like in West Texas, the 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 draw would be <laughs> maybe a little bit more like the the turbines, right? But then in East Texas, them turbines. I don't know. They don't really have too many turbines out in east texas because the topography doesn't allow for it too many trees i mean uh, <laughs> too many trees and just build it bigger right I, build I them mean, taller yeah the, everything's bigger <laughs> in texas anyway like i'm sure that there's an engineer right now just shaking his yes, head they're like, probably like yeah okay sure, the the sheer force of wind would uh, snap the uh, supporting structure and okay <laughs> in any case so uh you are mostly going into what smaller communities you know what, what's the kind of size of communities that you're working in sure. uh, in this space so it really depends on where our industry partners are developing and where it's needed to do some ground softening uh, to build the community relations because when they're developing it's a 30 plus year land lease agreement with that landowner and so oftentimes they need to build their goodwill, build those relationships, establish those connections. And so more often than not, we are working in very small rural counties across Texas. And it's really exciting to do that. Um, it's it You can't get more Texan than a small community, right? And they're so welcoming to other Texans. And I really enjoy getting to do that because... Uh, the industry partners we work with are true stewards of their their projects. We often get told, you know, we don't see them spin. We see broken and dilapidated projects. But that's just older fly-by-night companies. Those are really old first-generation panels. Um, you can tell that there's a lot of apprehension to it. But once they get to know these industry partners and get to know our organization, there's a lot of softening and community relations that get built out. It's a long-term commitment between the landowner, the industry developer, and um, just the county relationship going forward. Now, uh, that's an interesting dynamic that I, I would love to kind of learn more about because you do seemingly have to build different types of relationships, right? There's the local government, the state, federal. Uh, I see you going to DC and stuff like that. Uh, uh, have fun. It's, it's not for me. Uh, uh, but as in addition to the landowner and the local government and, uh, you know, the communities at large, you know, how, do, what are those dynamics like? And, uh, what are, you know, we hear so much about this issue, uh, through the media, but it's always, you know, through that media lens of drawing eyes. And so, from your perspective, what is the on-the-ground narrative about renewables in Texas? You would be surprised. So more often than not, your average conservative Texan that I've met is very supportive of a diverse energy portfolio. Because if Texas wants to remain energy independent, they understand that we need all different types of energy to sustain our energy independence. There's a lot of misinformation. And I think that there's Texans don't want anything forced on us, right? We For don't, sure. we don't want to be told you have to have an electric vehicle in the next five years. We're not going to sell you a gas powered vehicle. We don't want EVs forced onto us. And so it's kind of that conversation. People don't want to be forced to have solar panels powering their homes. They mm -hmm. want that option to have their gas stoves. So it's kind of educating them on how do utility scale solar panels work? I get a lot of questions of 
community solar. So community level would be your residential solar. Yes. Yes. And so Please. I get a lot of questions let's, about that. Yes. Let's talk about it. What, uh, so what are the first basic like things you should know as a commercial resident who maybe would like to go off grid or, you know, provide yourself an alternative, uh, uh, to the, the electric companies. So I'm not really educated in it yet, unfortunately, <laughs> but I do know that the virtual power plants are a huge thing with the Tesla battery wall mm-hmm. it has been a really significant saver to our Texas grid as the demand line and the available megawatts lines are crossing every evening this summer. Mm-hmm. When you look on the ERCOT website or the grid status website, you'll see that coming across and, um, we've been able to deploy our battery storage availability and capabilities between folks that do have those residential battery storages at home and what is available on the ERCOT queue and be able to sustain our power grid. Unfortunately, we've had a lot of our thermal generation have unplanned outages. So Mm -hmm. I think it was two nights ago, we had an EEA level two outage because there was 6,000 thermal generation megawatts that were offline during an unplanned outage. And and I think it's been a couple nights this week. It's the reserves have dipped below 5,000 megawatts, which, uh, you know, is the, I guess, first warning bell that, you know, Texans need to do their part to conserve. Um, you get different responses to that. Sorry. Uh, still cameras are always fun. There, there will be moments. Hopefully if I did this right, that that little mess up okay. won't be in there. <laughs> uh, in any case, so, uh, on the commer- uh, on the residential side, uh, translation, do your own research. Uh, but so to that end, you, then the space that you're more familiar with or that you're currently it's utility working. scale. Okay. So uh, you're talking about larger companies it's, that are doing this. Yes. I'm talking about the really big mega ranches, the, the large utility scale. So when I say utility scale for solar, it's at minimum 1500 acre spreads. We're talking seven, eight, nine, ten 10 wind turbines at minimum energy ranches essentially is what I'm com- like primarily working with. So what what would the acreage be on a uh, energy ranch like that? For solar, fifteen hundred acres at minimum. Wow! And so that's it gets interesting when you're in a, a county that's growing very rapidly. Um, like Milam County has a lot of industrial development going to it, but it also has a lot of solar going into it. Uh, Central Texas is very dynamic with their um, solar development and it's it's been really interesting to do a lot of work up in bell county compared to bell milam williamson and then you go down to south texas and they're incredibly welcoming and very encouraging to wind and solar development it's incredible to see just the vast difference same with west texas incredibly welcoming to those differences and i feel like it's just the the economic culture with i-35 running through it well and it 
let's be real. Like it's not that these communities have suddenly become like all hot on renewable energy or the green energy space. Right. There's a financial benefit to having, uh, you know, wind and solar in your community. Right. Absolutely. Uh, as far as those economic drivers, how, how does that work? Are there benefits for the ranchers themselves? Uh, you know, do you have partnerships of ranches? I mean, fit, for a solar farm, 1500 acres is a lot of acreage, uh, for some folks to put together, right? My yes. parents are on 41, so mm -hmm. you know, maybe they can find place for a wind turbine, but turbine turbine. <laughs> you could have you could say however you want. Um I'm not sure of the platform they need for one wind turbine because they also need to have there's usually three things that a developer is looking for. So it's proximity to interconnection into the power grid. Okay. And they're also looking for a transmission line. Okay, so to you, deliver the power. So you want to be closer to those large, like if you're closer to large transmission yes. or a substation or mm -hmm. something like that. Exactly. Okay, and, and so I guess uh, that's part of the additional infrastructure that maybe people aren't seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, so when you have uh, that supporting infrastructure come into a community, what does that do for the uh, the traditional electric customers that are there? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> well, when it, when solar or wind development comes into your community, it allows that landowner number one, to keep the land in that family. Some of these ranches has, have been in these families for at least a hundred years. And it means that the family doesn't have to sell the farm. If they have a wind installation, they can still run cattle underneath it. They can still run their goats if they're in West Texas. They can still raise their crops underneath it. Mm -hmm. um, with solar, they sit up about eight feet high and they're at an angle. They're angled now. And you can you can crop and stuff underneath it, but not really. Unfortunately, you do have to clear out every tree and the land has to be just right mm -hmm. for it. Um, and so that, that upsets a lot of folks, but there's you can do apiary, so beekeeping. You can do grasslands you can do a lot of different things some folks run goats to keep it nice and clean because goats will eat anything they'll probably eat the panels if you leave them out for too long <laughs> um but it's really unique to see the different types of farming capabilities that you can still operate with having these energy ranches in yeah. conjunction with it they often the power company the i should say the energy project often becomes the largest taxpayer in that community overnight without ever changing their infrastructure, which to me is remarkable. And um, there's the, the tax abatement program, the 312, which improves their infrastructure with road roadways. It leaves the roads better than how they were if the county can agree to that and um, can improve their hospital structures and things like that. So that's, that's always really great to see that. And um, it can leave a community better than how it was without putting stress on their local resources. But those, and, and those tax dollars that uh, end up coming into the community support, not just the cities and their infrastructure, but the local schools and provide, you know, those, uh, that sort of support revenue, uh, at which ultimately when, when you have stuff like that, you know, instead of rooftops with traditional businesses, now you're talking about, uh, you know, these energy companies that 
allow, as you said, farmers or, you know, beekeepers tying into the last episode, go check uh, out the interview with Jirani and his kids obsession with bees. Um, sorry, tangent plug. You got to do these things. Absolutely. You know, when you're, when you're on the pod, you build have an to, empire <laughs> callbacks. I don't know. Uh, but anyways, yeah. So th- this, it, it provides some level of property tax relief as well. Right. Because with Texas's, uh, new structure in terms of the, the reforms made in 2019, that's additional revenue that comes in, right? Which counts toward their no new revenue rates. I can see I've already lost you. Okay. In any case, <laughs> look it up yourself and see, I'm learning. I'm learning that when guests start to glaze over, so are the people at home. So I'll just, I'll just stop talking and we will uh, not bore them to death, but property tax stuff. It's important. You, I know voters care about it want to know about it. You're going to vote in November to uh, increase homestead exemptions to $100,000. So make sure uh, you get to the polls this November to do that. Um, anything else? Uh, why are you? Oh, why? No, it's good. It's good. You don't call me out for glazing over. No, I, I could call you out for that because you know what? Jasmine. Uh, She's just like, okay. Yeah, she calls it. So uh, when my son gets on one of his tangents, it's typically about like Minecraft or Pokemon. Mm-hmm. And that's what Jasmine says to me. Is she's, you're, okay, Pokemon. Like okay, you're, Pokemon. You're Pokemoning me. So that's, that's what so I'm learning funny. in the podcast. Yeah. If I start to Pokemon, I, I can see it Good. in your eyes. Good. So it's not so much... <laughs> You glazing over is me putting you and everyone listening or watching this podcast to sleep. Uh, so uh, getting back to the, the subject at hand, uh, what do you think is uh, the most important thing that, that people can know about renewables? I mean, the electric grid it continues to be a major topic of conversation in Texas through the summer. Uh, as we hit the fall and temperatures cool down and Texas starts to feel, you know, tolerable, uh, sure. beautiful in many cases, uh, you know, we'll turn to, to the winter and, and, you know, concerns about what's going to happen in that first, second week of February. So for yeah. you, what, what do you think is the thing people should know about renewable? I think people should know that clean energy isn't just wind and solar and battery storage installations, right? It's a really big space and conservatives from the world that I'm coming from is really important that we take the seat at the table and have the conversations with our lawmakers, with our communities, with each other. Um, Unfortunately, the legislation passed, we funded an IRA in the IIJA and we need to make sure that those dollars are spent appropriately and we have good stewardship over those dollars. And so it's important that we navigate those dollars with with that stewardship. And so as Texas begins to hopefully cool off, battery storage is in the queue. There's That's all the projects are, are solar installations. They're from what I can see on the ERCOT website, it's a public website, there are no thermal generating plants being scheduled to be built out. And battery storage next summer is going to really sustain our energy grid even further. And that's really helped us this summer as well. Um, I know a lot of folks will say that renewables are only good until the wind doesn't blow and the sun sets. And that's when battery storage is really 
going to kick on and sustain our grid. And so I'm really looking forward to that. Geothermal is another another wild west that's on its way to our our railroad commission, which is really exciting. We have microgrids, which are another unique piece of sustainable, renewable, clean energy. There's so many unique facets. And so it's not just these three pieces. It's you it's just a little onion that just keeps peeling back of different inter- the energy transition is here and we can either continue to not take a seat at the table or we can all just join in the conversation and really navigate it like conservatives do. I don't know why we won't. Well, it certainly appears as though the legislature has taken steps to continue to push that all of the above uh, and below uh, approach. See, I'm learning. Uh, Uh, But in terms of, you know, uh, trying to uh, renew those partnerships as well as put the funding toward uh, creating more generation on the or production on the natural gas side of things um you know and if we are going to continue to be the number one energy producer in the country uh, and one of the top in the world uh then you know uh, supporting all of those things is important real quick geothermal i think is something that is still relatively new for most texans so can you quickly explain to people what that is what is geothermal Cause like my, my, like I saw, um, you know how dumb I am. I watched a documentary and I'm like, Oh, cool. Volcanoes underground create, you know, sure. the ability to have steam powered, uh, turbines, uh, that generate energy, uh, kind of like wind turbines, but instead it's constant energy pumping up from uh, yes. underneath the earth. Right. But there's, there's different types of this. I know it's still kind of a new space, what is your best understanding so, of geothermal? As a very young green policy person that's not an engineer at all, don't want to try to be an engineer, it is quite literally the heat beneath our feet, right? So it's using, from what I understand, the closed injection wells to generate heat like a volcano. But the Texas Gulf Coast line in El Paso there's a great map on the TexGeo website, the Texas Geothermal Alliance website that has the perfect map that shows you where everything is. I can really just tell you the legislation that we did. <laughs> okay, well, let's... Can you let's, edit that out? No, I'm, no, uh, no beca- I, because you said something very <laughs> useful. The heat beneath your feet. It's the heat beneath our feet. I, I do think most Texans would turn around and say, you know, hey, can we do something with this heat around my face right now? Like, uh, yeah. how, how do we harness uh, Texas's summer heat? But that's for people smarter than us to figure out. So heat beneath your feet like that uh, quickly on the policy stuff. So to be real quick, we put all of the, we identified who owns the heat beneath your feet if there's a well in a station, generating station on your land. And Important that is a landowner. So it's it's technically a mineral right now. It's a mineral right okay. that belongs to that landowner. And uh, we put it all under the Railroad Commission. So it's no longer with all these different state agencies. It belongs to Railroad Commission. And mm-hmm. we streamline the permitting process because at the federal level, it takes a million years to get a permit to do a geothermal well. But now we can get a permit in Texas very quickly, okay. very swiftly. And so that was very important um, 
Representative Drew Darby is is quite the champion on geothermal energy. Shout and out. So we're very pleased for all of his his assistance with that. Um, and so very excellent. Grateful. So, well, uh, those are important things to to figure out. And Texas is who owns it. Right. Absolutely. Uh, you know, that, that's uh, the ongoing fight with water. Right. Uh, yes. Uh, as we say in Texas, uh, uh, whiskey's for drinking, water's for fighting. Uh And so uh, I think that is a great point for us to kind of pivot away from this stuff, but also uh, maybe incentive to get some engineers who do know and understand this stuff to uh, come on and explain. How's that work? Yes. You see what I did there? I like that. (laughs) That's good. See, I got, I, yeah, I I don't know. Being cheesy. Do you think that's going to work? No, we can get, we can get, we can get some people that to like correct everything I just said to you. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> I need someone to correct everything I just said to you. In any <laughs> case, uh, okay. So, uh, how long have you been doing this? Gosh, almost ten years now. More. Okay. Close. But the just the energy space stuff. Energy space stuff, almost a year. Okay. So, but that, that's pretty impressive. A year, you're already getting promoted, you know, to do yeah. bigger it's and better really things. It's really exciting. Yeah. It's yeah. it's very exciting. Um, I've, I've always wanted to work in energy and I could never quantify where in energy I wanted to go. And so my whole life, I've always said I wanted to work in energy and people would say, do what? And I couldn't quantify what, but I find the what. And, and and here you are uh, continuing to learn more about this very unique space. Uh, so l- let's go back talking about uh, growing up uh, originally from the Katy area. Yes. Yeah. Shout outs. You know, proud Katy Tiger. Oh, my gosh. But like Katy then versus Katy. Katy then versus Katy now. Uh, what what is the most OG like Katy then thing that is still around that? Oh, the most OG Katie, probably the donut shop by Katie High School. That's probably the most OG thing. Okay. Where the, the price is never the same. The price is never, never the same. Never the same. This is Every day you go get. Free market donuts. Free market donuts. <laughs> it's just like the stock exchange of donuts. Market price. Okay. So market price on a bear claw. Data. Yes. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> teaching free market economics to high schoolers in Katy. Uh, how, how big was Katy back then? Uh, we're we're going to make this a, a Houston area podcast for a little bit. Well, I feel like, I mean, the Katy High School, I graduated in a class of 600, so that was a lot, but I grew up in Katy proper, right? So 77493, so the Katy proper, and it didn't feel like a big community because I feel like the zoning was really large because KDISD is one of the largest districts. So mm-hmm. the zoning was probably really big, but I don't know when I go to Katie now, it's, it's so different. I mean, yeah, like it is bonkers to go anywhere in Katie, like, yeah. you know, restaurants. Uh, I, I think they have one of those like uh, Tiger Woods putting pop stroke or whatever it's called over there. I don't know. There's so much. I haven't been in so long. Uh, you know, I, I'm so old uh, as I continue the theme of the oldest man in the world podcast. Uh, I remember when Katie Mills was the new, new and uh, you know, that that was the place to be. Yep. I remember uh, when it opened. 
Yeah. And, and now, you know, with the digital era, I don't, I, I mean, that area is still popping. There's still a million things to do over there. Yeah. But I think they have the boardwalk now or close. They have a cheesecake factory. It's pretty, I would have killed for that back in the day. Well, now, like, you know, uh, they've had no label brewery out there for, I think, over uh, about 10 years, over 10 years, mm-hmm. I mean, a long time. We have MKT uh, Distri- Distillery now. Yeah. So, I, I mean, it's this fun new mix uh, of, like, hip young couples, I feel like. It's no longer the, like, quaint little farming, right. rural farming no. town. It's not dove hunting capital of the world anymore. But That's it is for sure. It is one of the like most popular places for where people are moving right now. Uh, I mean, hence the you know overgrowth. Maybe they don't feel that way. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't want to put my views on, on them. And w- w- you know, like I can talk. I live in Northwest Houston, where it's you know just as crowded. Right. Uh, I'm trying so hard to not get on my old man soapbox. So, <laughs> uh, from Katie, where like. Where did you launch off into the world? Uh, you know, I'm trying to get into a little bit of your background, yeah. which I, you know, should be a better friend and know more about. But, you know, <laughs> uh, of course, in today's world, I've got to monetize these these conversations. Sure. Right. So. So from Katie, I joined the Air Force and I had a tour of the Southwest. So I enlisted into the Air Force and I served six, seven years I did two years active duty, enlisted, and then um, the remainder was in the reserve. I was stationed um, across the Southwest, so Lackland Air Force Base and Edwards out in California, and then I ended my time in the Air Force at Nellis Creech Air Force Base in Nevada, and then I moved back to Texas with my son, and I went to (laughs) Texas Tech at their regional campus in Waco and went to school there. And kind of just found my footing and off I went. Uh, two quick questions. One, Air Force adjacent. Am I too old to get involved with the Space Force? Do you think that, like, they will take me? Like, I've, they're headquartered in Texas. Like, the Space Force, did you know this? Yeah. Okay, I'm just making sure. The Air uh, Force so, is headquartered at Randolph. Uh, yeah. They're, like, they're the same. Really, it's kind of silly that they're their own branch. Whoa, they should be whoa. a part. Well, Space Force and Air Force, right? One flies in the air. The other is flying in space, right? Are they? They will be. Okay. I believe, look, I am from the 90s and Independence Day will come true. Like how many? I mean, of, they confirmed like, that Congress said that there are aliens amongst us. I know, but whether or not they and we were look like, cool, like we don't care. the 1994 hit blockbuster aliens or they look like 1997's hit blockbuster Men in Black starring Will Smith in both of these, which I kind of wonder. You don't think they're going to be Paul? Uh, oh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm I have faith that it's Paul. That is such a uh, a (laughs) Seth Rogen deep, deep Simon Pegg cut. Uh, And I love both of those guys, but that I'm sorry. That movie was not, not, uh, I have faith that it's, you think it's going to be Paul. Paul. They they are just as like ignorant and sarcastic as we are. They, they came to earth and they're like, forget all this technology. (laughs) I just want to drive a bus around Nevada. (laughs) 
I, I think that's you. Like, you want to drive a bus around Nevada. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. I'm like a little desert dweller, so yeah. <laughs> okay, well, we'll get into that. So, uh, Air Force, back to Texas. Oh, sorry. My second question, uh, Air Force-related. Uh, How do you feel about the increased female representation in Maverick as opposed to the original Top Gun? I haven't seen it. Oh, wow. Wow. Okay. I thought <laughs> I was the like lone holdout that was just like, nah, I can't mess with Maverick. And then I watched it and I am immediately 180. I was just, it's well, so good. I can explain to you why I haven't seen it. I have a three-year-old. But it's on demand. Like you can. Jordan, she doesn't sleep. She doesn't sleep. No. She, that kid for sure sleeps. Have you met her? I, actually, no, no, actually, I haven't. Have I have not. Yet, yet another reason I'm a bad friend, right? Oh, she is a monster. <laughs> she would be like, she's she's wild. She's she has bright red hair. She is my child. She is wild. So no, Jade cannot sit down and watch a movie. No, um, sorry. Oh, okay, all right. I'm sorry. My bad. I'll I'll I, download it and watch it. You know what? This weekend. I I, I will. And uh, I'll, I'll update you. I, I'm sure that at some point in the near future, I will be right in in those shoes as well. My kids are you know semi. Uh, self-autonomous at this point so yes. i can enjoy these yes. things okay well uh their homework list sorry i thought that was going to be fun sorry like, oh my gosh well no <laughs> it's fine uh when, when you uh watch it and uh get a crush on rooster like the rest of america did uh then we i'll can report back you can come back okay. and we can have the fun <laughs> so uh come back to texas uh, how long were you there before, uh, we, we crossed paths and I tried to figure out whether or not you were a spy or not? <laughs> um, I was in Waco. I think I reached out to y'all's team. Like I was there for like two years before I reached out to y'all's team. Cause I was in my junior year and I knew I needed to I wanted to go to work after I graduated, so I wanted to start working and getting ready. And for the record, what were you doing in Waco? You say you were a junior in school, but yeah, I was. Um, I went to the so Texas Tech has regional campuses across the state, and uh, my sister was going to school in Waco. We were living together, and um, I just didn't want to go to Baylor, so I went to Texas Tech and um, was going to their school there. I did not believe you for one second. I know. I for sure thought you were the world's worst spy. Like, <laughs> I could believe the Air Force thing. I could not bring myself to believe that there was such thing as a Texas Tech camp uh, campus in Waco, which is easily verifiable, easily Googleable. And I am the number one person to be like, did you Google it first? And instead of doing any of that, I was just like, yeah, no, no way. This person is a terrible liar. They're trying to get one over. And so I, uh, we won't go into, uh, you know, the test I, I put on you, but needless to say, I uh, deduced you were not indeed a spy. Uh, you know, when you, when you look back on those earliers, uh, first, what were you going to school for? I was going to school for political science with a minor in public relations. So you, you were, uh, much smarter than I and pursuing a degree and the thing that you actually wanted to, uh, get a career in. <laughs> that's, that's a good start and a good note for all you kids out there. Uh, <laughs> study the thing that you want to do. 
Um, so you were going to school for that and, you know, you reached out, uh, to, to team shine. Uh, when you look back on that now, like, what do you think about those early days of like learning campaigns and, you know, getting that great boots on the ground experience with uh, Hugh and Debbie? I'm absolutely grateful for it. Um, I, I look back on that experience so fondly, even to this day, it truly, there's no better team that I could have gotten my start with. Um, Representative Shine and Mrs. Shine are just such incredible people that mentor me every day, even to this day. Um, They're just such amazing people. Yeah. I mean, shouts to the Colonel and, and Debbie, uh, I think they raised both of us a little bit. They did. Uh, through still, they still are. <laughs> Whether they want to admit it or not, they uh, still are. Uh, you know what? I I had a, a regular habit when I was a kid of uh, adopting my friend's uh, parents, particularly their mothers. Like, yeah, yep, your mom too. And I respect that. Respect your mother, all mothers. And so uh, she, though, for sure, like I, I will always take uh, a life lesson and a phone call from Debbie Shine. Me too. Uh, don't tell my mom, but I might actually pick up a call from Debbie before I pick up my mom, right? Like, Yeah. <laughs> in any case. So uh, you got to do some, you know, block walking, event organizing all lots of, things. of sign construction, lots of sign, uh, lots right. of sign construction. Oh, Joey too, my son, yeah. son too. Yeah. It's all, it's a family deal. Yep. Yes. Um, so for, for you, you know, how, how do you think for the people out there that want to get into this world, what were the things that you think helped you in terms of opening those doors? And, and what do you think were the crucial steps to help you take the next step? Sure. I think the most important thing would be is don't hesitate to reach out, work really hard, even if it's it's kind of silly, um, even if, you know, it's stuffing envelopes because the work needs to be done and your candidate needs the help and your candidate needs the support. And even if you're on the losing end of a race, which I wasn't, but you never know, um, it's all in the people that you meet along the way and foster your relationships, stay in touch, build your friendships because your friendships will just, you grow your relationships. And I really feel like that matters. Um, but do don't hesitate to roll up your sleeves and do the work even today. I I'll still pick up a sign and block walk. I'll still stuff envelopes. I'll still phone bank. I'll still fundraise. Like there's no no job is too small and it the work has to be done in politics. Well, and another thing that people probably, you know, the, the next generation is more eager than I would say ours to, you know, be in that leadership role to be, be in that position and nowhere uh, have I seen those opportunities more, uh, more available than in politics. Right. So if you are a young person, like take those early opportunities, right. Uh, to, to volunteer, to get involved. Um, you know, it is about the community you build, um, and, and you yourself have, uh, been able to, 
take all of those relationships, right. And build on your career. Right. Mm-hmm. And now they're still, you're coming back to those same communities and meeting with those same folks. I mean, I'm sure anytime you're back in bell County, it's kind of like being home. It is. You know? So it truly is. And it's, it's been really great um, to reintroduce myself in different facets within my career along the way. I'm fortunate that I live just down the road in Williamson, but you never know how, as those counties kind of grow together, how those relationships continue to develop. And it, it's just been really great. Um, I really recommend rolling up your sleeves and not being afraid to, to put in the hours and knock, the, knock on the doors, make the phone call, send the text, especially as the digital, you know, we're not stuffing envelopes as much, mm-hmm. but the, you still, sometimes it goes a long way. Yeah. Yeah. There's plenty of uh, doors that need knocking. Yes. Right. So, um, uh, it, and it's a relatively short timeline, right? Like we're talking 2016 when you and I first met. Yes. 2015, uh, I think. Somewhere around. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Yep. Yeah. Right. Uh, and, and so less than 10 years, you've already, uh, now worked in a state office, you've worked uh, for a congressional office, and now you are uh, working on renewables and conservative energy. Yep. You can move up really quickly if um, if you are willing to, to build your relationships, strategize, mm-hmm. and um, be patient with yourself, though, and take your time and... and you know, I, I did take a break in between my congressional time to kind of feel out different industries. You know, I practiced real estate for a little bit and I worked in finance and kind of enjoyed time with my baby and kind of recovered for a little bit from politics. And then I really missed it, you know, serving constituents in the public and learning a different industry was really important to me. But uh, the that I think is, is an important message, uh, uh, for young women. You know, uh, I know that was one of the big things when I worked for governor Nome that she always wanted to impress upon young women is that, you know, take time, you know, invest in your family, be dedicated to, to being a mom. You know, it, it is a, a great job. Uh, but also don't be afraid to chase the career when those opportunities come. And, and you know, I, I've seen it like you've, uh, you've quickly made a name for yourself in the Capitol in this space, you know, being, courteous and friendly when you go into offices always helps. Uh, but also it's, you know, from past relationships that you have, you have developed, you have, uh, cultivated and maintained. So, uh, you know, any tips for people who maybe are a little bit more like me, like I, it's weird. I know I seem extroverted, but I really am more introverted. So, and this is where we give Cheryl Hassman her flowers, right? If yes. Cheryl were here right now, oh gosh, yeah, yeah. And for those who don't know, Cheryl Hassman, uh, District Director for uh, uh, Congressman Carter, is that her title? District? No, she is. Gosh, Cheryl is Boss. the field. <laughs> she's um, she's doing field rep for Fort Cavazos exclusively in managing anything that's going on at Fort Cavazos, but she's also the congressional programs director too. I know that she manages the 
um, academy appointment program, okay. art program, app program, anything that Representative Carter is doing mm-hmm. programs wise, she manages that, of course. Yeah, I mean, she was she was just such a boss. She's the queen of Bell County. Uh, the queen of Bell County. Nice. Uh, <laughs> shout out to Cheryl Hassman. OK, yes. so uh, you, you got to study under her tutelage, uh, Jelly. <laughs> what what were some of those uh, essential lesson lessons that that Cheryl imparted upon you that you think other young folks should know as they're getting into this space? Cheryl Hassman taught me how to be a lady in the political world. Everything I know in the political space between Mrs. Shine and Cheryl Hassman, I know. Cheryl taught me how to manage constituents. She taught me how to pull information out of committee hearings and for casework in critical needs and how to really synthesize and analyze information. And so she's taught me how to really crunch data very quickly. And that's, that's a unique skill set, which you do have that. I see that quickly. And that's a very important thing to get capture data very quickly. Another thing that Cheryl has taught me is how to work a room. And she taught me how to kind of enter and kind of work a perimeter. And as a woman, it's easy to get kind of cornered by people to kind of get them to, they like to stick with you. And so she's taught me to do that crab walk and to get out from a conversation. And so that's really important is to work a room. But how do you start a conversation? Like that's something that introverts like like me struggle with. How do you start a conversation? You know, sure. Hello. Right. Sure. Is the, what, what is a go-to when you're just getting to know someone? Small talk. This is something I'm terrible at. Sure. So my go-to, I always just, I introduce myself, honestly, um, but since I work in a renewable space with a nonprofit, I always do that because I'm also, as a nonprofit person, I'm always looking for potential funders. <laughs> so I'm always saying, hi, my name's Jade Gillespie Doss. I'm with Conservative Texans for Energy Innovation. What do you do for work? It's nice to see you. Um, if I've seen them again frequently, I'm like, hey, I've never met you before. My name's Jade. I'd like to introduce myself. It kind of depends. So you're profiling people when you meet them. Sometimes. <laughs> okay, so be more Terminator, and sometimes it's just frame of mind, right? Like you're. <laughs> but I also really, I truly enjoy to meet new people, and um, it doesn't mean that I don't struggle with kind of pushing myself out there. But I found it it's a lot easier if I just keep doing it, and sometimes they're not receptive to it, but that's not my problem because at least I tried and. I don't know. Sometimes I like to meet the intern. If you're really nice to interns, yeah, it pays itself off. I, yeah, like those little seeds. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, good friend Kevin Cruiser uh, frequently talks about that. About you know, uh, one of the most important things you do is you develop a relationship with staff, the people who you know typically get yeah. blown by, right? Uh, Breakfast tacos will open a lot of doors yes. uh, for you, yes. uh, especially during the middle of a hectic session, right? Well, in an, our space, 
the you you are gonna you are gonna die right now. I, I'm gonna have to just break my rule, but uh, sure enough, Debbie Shine oh calling her. So, uh, <laughs> sorry, Debbie. I will call you back though. Um, but <laughs> <laughs> that is so funny. Um, for MySpace, in maybe true to yours too, a lot of the relationships are built in the interim, and so granted in the in the Texas house, in the Texas side, there's not a lot of staff available in the interim, especially interns and things like that. But in, in DC and in Washington, there's always interns in your district offices and in DC. So it's, it's, if you're friendly to those interns, they do turn into staff quicker than you think and they become schedulers and they become constituent services. And honestly, I don't really need to know the member because I don't need to talk to the member. I need to talk to a legislative aide. I need to talk to a, a legislative staffer most mm -hmm. of the time. So yep. that's more important. I mean, the member's nice, but it's it's the people that are serving their constituents every day that I really need to develop a friendship with and a relationship with. Well, and, you know, for the legislature, unless there's a special session, you know, the folks you're probably going to want to get to know are back in the district, right? So you're getting to know district directors and the folks that, uh, you know, work the home fires, which uh, is probably more vi valuable in your line of work because you're so more so much more focused in the community. Yes. I mean, you have that policy side when the legislature is in session, uh, and, and trying to figure out these things, but, um, you know, getting to know those folks, uh, and, uh, it's as true for a constituent as it is for someone who's mm -hmm. in the advocacy space. I mean, as a constituent, you're advocating for yourself, right? Exactly. You know, uh, as someone who I just did another weird cut as someone who <laughs> see, this is going to be so funny. You're going to be listening to this and be like, yeah, this idiot every time. Um, no. Uh, as someone who did work in constituent services, uh, any tips for folks when they are trying to conduct, uh, contact their state or uh, federal reps uh, for a particular issue? Um, you know, and what what is the thing they should keep in mind? I have a lot of tips. So first and foremost, make sure you're contacting the correct member. Make sure it's your if it's a state issue, you're contacting your state rep state senator, and if it's federal, your federal representation. Another tip I have is to be incredibly concise because the more concise you are, the faster those staffers can assist you with your issue. Mm -hmm. I think it's very important to be prepared to sign a consent form if it's a federal member because yep. you have to give them consent to ask a federal agency on your behalf to assist you. Um, be prepared to have some documentation if you're asking for a passport issue, be prepared to have your um, passport locator ID available. So don't just send it in and not have that information. Um, if it's a legal matter, understand that they cannot give you any legal expertise or guidance. If it's an IRS issue, understand that it's going to take a long time for resolution. So there's a lot of moving parts to constituent services but those staff really want to assist you. When it comes to state-level casework, it's a little easier. There's not as much red tape around resolving those issues, but those state-level staffers in those um, elected officials' offices truly do want to assist you and find you resolution. 
as well, but be very concise with what your the true heart of your issue is. So that way they can get you your right response appropriately as quickly as they can. Uh, phone call, email, which, which do you think is the best first step? For the first step, an email is always the best way because with congressional and Senate members, it's always going to be an electronic consent form. And then it doesn't hurt to follow up with your district office that's where all your caseworkers are going to be at the federal level is calling a district office to follow up in two to three business days just to make sure that they've received it and that they're processing it. But give them a little time um, to make sure they have it. But email first and then follow up by phone. But if it's urgent, don't hesitate to call. Um, right. I, I know uh, from the state side that email is just uh, helpful to have that record. Yes. Uh, and... and more importantly, so you get the details and the facts, right? Because, yep. you know, those uh, details can get mixed up over the telephone Absolutely. And, and the smallest, you know, wrong number or letter and uh, what you're trying to process can just make it take longer. So, right. you know, ha having that clear record so that way the, uh, the information is shared quickly, you know. And another thing is, is I understand that when you're reaching out to your elected official for assistance, it's, it's a terrible day. Every day doing constituent services, it's the worst day of that constituent's life when you've had enough and you're reaching out to an elected official to assist you, but try really hard to calm yourself to get what you need asked for. And so if you can do that, you're staffers can assist that constituent very quickly mm -hmm. and so that's really important is to calm calm yourself to ask for what you need and that's that's the most critical piece of advice i could give to a constituent yeah and, and it is it is difficult sometimes when there are situations that you know are out of your control right yes. uh there are just those calls that you sometimes take and uh you know, sometimes you can, I would say most of the time you can, it's a simple thing that it's just like, they're not getting someone from a particular agency to contact them or get back to them on, on a particular issue. Uh, and those things can get resolved pretty quickly. Um, I mean, I can say the difference between state level constituent services and federal or night and day um, at state level, it was infuriated people dealing with text tag and things like that. But when you're calling your member of Congress, I mean, it's families that are separated. Um, it's U.S. Embassy. It's veterans not getting the care that they need. So it can be really emotionally uh, difficult situations. And so that was really interesting to learn how to help constituents kind of manage their emotions enough to really understand what do they need, how can we assist them, and how quickly can Representative Carter answer their concerns and we were pretty good about it because we'd established the relationships with those federal contacts to leverage those relationships because we would learn how urgent is this and be able to act very swiftly so sometimes an emergency wasn't always an emergency yeah even it seemed like it but sometimes it truly was very urgent and we could really get things done really really quickly right uh and you know, going back to your point earlier about making sure you know who to contact, uh, I will also say 
circling all the way around that those uh, having good relationships you know between those state and federal offices really does help in terms of uh, when you have to uh, bump those cases up uh, you know there was one thing that both of us learned working for colonel shine was that just because someone comes with you with a federal issue doesn't mean that you can't respond. I mean, I know that he very frequently would reach out to Congressman Carter, uh, especially uh, when it was an issue to deal with, you know, the soldiers there at Fort Cavazos. I'm still learning that. I'm sorry. I know it's been a recent change. It is difficult for me to make that, that change for no reason other than I just, heard it as the other name forever fort hood for as long as i was in bell county so fort cavazos you know i can tell you it was a tough change for me until we we have a new ceo at the conservative energy network that is also a retired colonel and uh, named john soka and he and i were visiting in iowa at our conference a few weeks ago and he told me the most wonderful story about General Cavazos, and so it helped me learn the name a lot quicker. So, I mean, are you going to share the story? Like, it's yeah. a really long, it's a really long one, and okay. I think John Soka should visit you and tell you more about it. That sounds like a fantastic idea and a great place to wrap up. Jade, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, if people want to learn more about the Conservative Energy Network or anything else that you're doing, where where do they go and find that? Sure. Stuff? So they can visit us at uh, Conservative Texans for Energy Innovation um, we're on Twitter at conservative Texans for energy innovation, conservative energy network.org, Texas land and Liberty. <laughs> There's we're everywhere. Can't, you can't miss us. Instagram, LinkedIn, all the things, all the right? Things. Yeah. Find Jade on your local social media platform, yes. right? Yes. All right. Well, I'm going to let you get out of here so you can go home and uh, hug those babies. Thank you. Yep. It was good to see you. Good to see you. 